Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Après ça, moi yon la ciel la te, premier ciel la premier la te a te disparat, pagen aucun la me anko. Après ça, moi laver bondye a lot Jerusalem, neflan, kitap de san soti bokote bondye yanan ciel la. Lite bien abie, lite pare tanku yon la marie, kipra contre fiancé li. Mwintande yon voa kitap soti bo fote la, litap dibien fo, kunye ya. Kai bondye ase nan, mitan mun lapye, laprete nan mitan yo, lezon anyon pep puli. Se bondye men kap viva vek yo, liva bondye pu yo. Ligin pu sheshe tout lo nanje yo. Papgen lamo anko, yo pap nan lampen anko, yo pap jamplenye anko. Yo pa jam soufri anko. Tout bie bagay sa yo prao disparet. Lese a, munki te shita soufote la di. Kunye ya, mwen fe tout bagay vin nef. Apre sa, li di mwen. Ume ekri sa, paske pawo mwen se pawo ki vre. Pawo tout mwen kwe dwe. Apre sa, li di yo anko. Bon, tout bagay kaba. Mwen se a, jik sa zed. Mwen ke... Mwen se komonsma, mwen se finisma. Si yo moun swaf, ma ba libwe gratis nan sustlo kibay labia. You know, we have a tendency to forget how helpful our team is, right? So we have a team that stands up here in front of everybody that sings and leads us, but we have a team that you don't see. And I, I can only imagine the panic that happens when a computer messes up uh, and, and when sound things happen. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for, uh, for all you do. Uh, I won't even say names because they would prefer it better that way, but I really am very thankful uh, for that and uh, know that they were so quick to do the best they can to get us back to singing uh, in that way. I, in some ways, can't believe we are here. Like, not here, but here. If you know what I mean, back in February of 2019, I got the flu. And I was sitting in a room by myself, this was like before we even really used the word quarantine very much. And uh, I was sent to quarantine by my wife to a friend's house, like stuck me in a room up by myself uh, in the corner and uh, was thankful for that corner of the house. And I decided while I had the flu to work on sermon planning. I wanted us as a church to see that Christ is in every book. God, we are like two sentences in and I'm already emotional. Uh, that he is the central focus of it all. So in the first 11 months of 2020, we covered all of the Old Testament. And week after week, we found that the Old Testament does not, in fact, need to be unhitched from the New Testament because it points us to the coming of Christ over and over and over again. That series was called His Story. 
Because the Old Testament is also the story of Christ. But in December of 2020, we had a Christmas series called His Coming. Because the Old Testament was true. But it promised. He really did come. Then January through Easter of this year, we followed His life. And in that series, we camped out in the, those first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, and saw Jesus performing miracles and teaching and demonstrating his divinity. From Easter through August, we followed his legacy, seeing his followers share the good news of Jesus around the world. And for the past nine weeks, we have been studying the book of Revelation in this series called His Return. So here we are on week 10 and on the final day of this series and the final day of these two years of studying all 66 books. And I'm telling you now, this one is something special. Not because I'm preaching it and not really even because of uh, what I have written down on my notes, but because these last two chapters are the kind of culmination that every other story attempts to get to. Let's, let's, let's do this then. With that in mind, let's think about how we have been approaching every time we've come to Revelation, we've been approaching it with one certain thing in mind. So let's look to that definition one more time. The book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope Expect obedience and inspire worship. This is what we look at. This is what we come to when it comes to Revelation. And I hope that that is what you have experienced. I know in my, my study, my preparation time, and certainly each Sunday, as I've gotten to deliver this twice each week, I am, I am filled with a greater sense of hope. There, is, there has been in me a uh, points of necessary confession of sin before God, calling me to different levels of obedience, and there is no question that this has stirred in me a, a desire to bring glory to the one and only Christ who is our King. So one of the things I've hoped for in this is that you would not be intimidated by this book, right? There is stuff that, that we don't all understand and there's lots of parts to it. And, and I'll tell you, I, I enjoy some of those conversations, enjoy kind of getting into the nitty gritty, but then there's some parts of me that, that it, is, it has been pleasant for me to, to just enjoy the hope and the inspiration to bring glory to God. And so I hope as well, that it has been that for you. So we come today to home. Like, this is, this is what we're longing for. And, and maybe it is that you didn't know that. You come into today and you've just, 
maybe you don't know this Jesus very well, this one that we were just singing of. You don't, you don't know him very well at all. You know about him. You've heard stories of him, but maybe you don't know him. And so maybe there's been something in you that has felt just a little bit empty, something that you've been looking toward, longing for, and you haven't even been able to put your finger on it. It's just felt a little empty, something that, that you just couldn't place. Well, I want to tell you that it's, this place, that Christ has come for you, died for you, defeated the grave for you, so that he could spend eternity with you. So let's, let's look then at these last two chapters to learn about this place that will be our home. In fact, this, where we are now is not our home, right? You Mississippians, which I am one now, but us Mississippians, like, man, y'all don't move. It's, it's very funny to me. Uh, I've, this is my sixth southern state to live in. Very, that's good news. But this is also the one I've lived in the longest, uh, and I hope for that to be the case to stay that way. Uh, but once you come to Mississippi, it's like you never leave. <laughs> and if you're born here, you're like, oh no, <clears throat> I, I lived uh, like for a little bit in Shreveport. And you're like, that don't count. <laughs> you went like one year over there and realized it was not this place, so you came back. And all you Jackson folks, you're like, oh yeah, I've been all over, I've lived all over the place. I lived all the way in Hattiesburg. You know, I'm like, no, okay. And some of that is because we feel something different about this place. There's something about it that feels so home-like, right? Mississippi's home. But I want you to know that it is not home. Or better yet, it ain't home. <laughs> this is not where we finish. This is not where it ends. There is something better. There's home that's better than here. Home is where God and his people dwell. It's in the verse three. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Can you imagine that kind of everlasting presence? You know, right now, if you're a follower of Christ, you, you have in you residing the Holy Spirit, right? And we are, we are abundantly thankful for that everlasting presence with the Holy Spirit. But there's, there's notably something different. Like chapter 21 is telling us that there's something different about being in the presence of the Trinity. Like we don't, we don't just get just the Holy Spirit, which by the way, is plenty good. We get the presence of God the Father. We get the presence of God the Son, the one that we saw last week, right, who comes in riding on a white horse, tattoo on his leg, King of kings, Lord of lords, like this is, this is the one we get. 
right? We get this one, everlasting presence. So that everlasting presence, you want to think about righteousness. That will be 2 Peter 3. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Like all of the things that aren't righteous around you, like they can't be in the presence of God. So righteousness dwells there. Jesus. Acts 7 says that full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God. This is speaking of Stephen. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So, so here's what we get, right? We get the Trinity in, in full presence. Everlasting presence of God. Look, I, I got lots more to say, but let's just be honest. If that was all we got, heaven would be worth it. Like if, that, if, there was, if the rest of the sermon went away and we get forever with the creator of the universe, I'll do whatever it takes to get that. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, you mean we get to spend forever with the perfection of righteousness? The one who is holy, holy, holy. We get to spend forever with him. Just like, think about it. Like, you know how we talk about we want to just rub shoulder, rub elbows with somebody? Like, that's what we get to do with him forever. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven says that not only will we see his face, this Jesus, and live we will likely wonder if we ever lived before we saw his face. What was life really like before that? It's like we, we will, it's almost like we forget all of this. Because all of this, it's just a foretaste. The stuff that we enjoy, all the good and perfect gifts that come from above, it'll be constant. There will be eternal comfort. Everlasting presence and eternal comfort. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No more death. Some of us have lost loved ones recently, even in the past year. We won't lose anyone anymore. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. In fact, this is, this is the second time we've seen this in Revelation. Revelation 7, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I, if this is your first Sunday here, you do not know this about me, but if it is not, you know, I got lots of tears. Most of mine are joyful tears. But just think, he wipes everyone. I don't know what's caused you to cry over the last year, weeks, months. And, and, and think about this. Like, this is a, this is a description of God himself providing you with everlasting, eternal comfort. 
He'll wipe all of your tears. And there will be no more end. 22, verse 5. The night will be no more. This is, this is both seemingly figurative and literal. Right? We, can, we conclude that when darkness comes each day, kind of the day is done, right? Now here in the change of the, the clock change and stuff, like night starts way earlier, but we kind of think end of day is when dark comes to the end. And so when this says there will be no more night, that there won't be an end anymore. And we'll talk in a little bit about this gift of light, but right here, there's no more end. So home, home is where God and his people dwell. I need you to hear this clearly, though. This gift of home is for his people, those who have turned away from their sin and trusted in him for salvation. He'll bring you home. But if you have never done that, this is not for you. So I'm, I'm asking you now to go ahead and, and be wrestling with that in your head. Have you turned away from your sin and trusted in Jesus? Because home is new and permanent. Again, go back to chapter 21, look at verse 5. He who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is, everything's new here. It's newly created. Even we're told that in 2 Corinthians 5 when, when we are new in, the old is gone, the new has come. There's a, we're new creatures. And so we know that then when we get to heaven, there's a newness to that. Newly created, newly transformed. We will be changed Russell Moore says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and declared it good. God does not surrender this good creation to Satan, but wins it back through the blood of Christ, which frees creation's rulers from the sentence of death for sin. That's, so we, by, by God's grace, were transformed, changed from old to new by the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of new here. We're newly created, we're newly transformed. There's a new city. I saw the holy city, verse two. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is a massive city, by the way. Uh, if you were to, uh, when you get down to verse nine and, and you read out this uh, description of like, so verse 15, 16, all of those, it's describing the, the size of this city. And it tells us that it's, it's like a cube, okay? Because it tells us its width and length and height are the same. So it's like a, a cube. And the length, just, just so you get an idea, is like from here to Arizona. Not an exaggeration. Okay, so, so the way that that's described is now, now take that and stand it up. And that's how tall it is. If you ever 
uh, get a globe and, and some engineer can, can make you a cube. Um, and I won't do that for you, but somebody can. And you can, you can measure that out and you can build that. It will stand off of the globe by like this much. Now, this seems really small until you realize how tiny you are on the globe. Okay? Like, you want to know what we're going to be doing? I got a city to explore. Like, there's this, we're going to work in this city, this, this massive city. The new city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven. Can you imagine just what that might have looked like for John? How far he had to pan out to be able to, to get a picture of this city? There's something new about it. It's, it's not the Jerusalem that he knew. It's a new city. There's new color. We talked about this back in Revelation chapter 4. Y'all remember that? That there's so much that he can't even describe the color that he's seeing. It says uh, there was an appearance of jasper and carnelian around the throne. It was like a rainbow, but there was an appearance of color that he couldn't even describe. Right? Most of us would just say like, oh, I saw green. Like I saw red. He can't even describe the color because he's never seen it before. That's something new. I, I like color. And I think like that, there's something spectacular about it. I love, we were pulling into the, uh, the parking lot early this morning and Abigail came with me this morning. And she said, oh, doesn't it look so pretty? With all the change of leaves. Just imagine, just attempt to imagine colors you've never seen. What would that look like? There's also new creatures, things that we've never seen at least, only ones that we've heard about still in Revelation 4, right? There's ones full of eyes in front and behind, like a lion, but not a lion, like an ox, but not an ox, like a face of a man, but not a man, like an eagle in flight, but not an eagle in flight. Over and over and over. It's like, like and, like and. It sounds like an eighth grade girl. <clears throat> They're not in here right now, most of them, so I can say that. But right, like, something about this. He's just having to use all of these like appearance of. Because you're just new over and over and over. But I want you to see this too, that home, home is clean and bright. Home is clean and bright. There is never-ending life here. You think about the, the, the descriptions it gives. Crystal sea, streets of gold, pearly gates. But there's something that is offered here, the river of life, right? Uh, chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Why is this river of life so important? Because this is a picture of what Jesus described to the woman at the well. 
when he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. This river of life is the very river of life that Jesus offers to you. You drink from it, you won't be thirsty anymore. There will be never-ending life and never-ending worship. Four living creatures that we just described, each of them with six wings, full of eyes, says that day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. I, I think for us, for many of us, we have a hard time imagining that. And it seems like it might get boring one day. But if, if you've ever experienced do, doing something that you know is honoring to God, it's pleasing to Him, imagine doing that forever. Whether it's singing His praise or working as though you're working for the Lord. There will be work to do. It doesn't say new heaven, new earth, no work. Oh, there's, there's work for us to do. There's meals for us to enjoy and to celebrate and delight in. We're never ending worship. We won't ever point the finger back to ourselves, trying to give ourselves glory or praise. We will know clearly and plainly that it is he alone who deserves our worship. I want you to know this. I mentioned this a little while earlier, and I want you to know that home is available and offered. Look at, look at chapter 22, verse 6. It says that these are words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place. Then skip down to verse 17. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. This place is offered to you. To each one of you. Scripture tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want you to hear this. I need you to hear this today. Don't, don't allow us to go through two years of reading all of Scripture. Don't, don't allow us to go through this last week of hours and hours and hours of reading Scripture in this room, don't allow, even if this is your first time, don't allow yourself to hear that there is a way for you to experience God for all eternity and pass it by. Because here's the, here's the reality of all of this. You and I have offended that perfect God. We've sinned. We've done wrong against him. We've disobeyed him. In fact, we were just born into sin, Scripture tells us. So we, we are not only born sinners, but we choose to sin. And I, I would gather that any one of us, with not a whole lot of thought, could think back to a time even in the last 24 hours that we've sinned against God. And so, I 
I want you to know that even though you and I have sinned against him, he has made a way through his son, Jesus. This one that every book speaks of him, Jesus, who lived a life that you could not live. He lived perfectly, sinless, never doing wrong, never thinking wrong, never acting wrong. And he, he took the punishment that we deserve. See, when we offended God, he punished us because he should. That's what just God does. That's what a just judge does. He offers punishment. So he, he has a punishment for us, and that punishment is eternal separation from him. But because Jesus came, he, he took that from us, for us, in his death on the cross. It says that the wrath of God was poured out on him then. He didn't deserve that wrath. I did. You did. I do. Apart from the fact that I've trusted in him. Because the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins and believe in our heart, like so if we, if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that eternal separation, that place called hell. But I need you to know this right now, right where you sit, you can pray and, and call out to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins and trust him. You, you turn away from your sin and yourself and your stuff and, and turn away from your way and trying to, to make it on your own and instead trust in Jesus. And you say, well, what do I get on the other side? Is everything easier? Nope. Is everything, is everything less like smooth sailing? Am I gonna get richer, healthier? Not necessarily. But for all eternity, you will have Christ. And what we know is that Christ is enough. Christ is enough for us. And you might think to yourself, maybe I'll just wait. Because if I do that, I realize I've got to turn away from stuff that I like to do. I've got to stop participating in certain things. If I'm going to call him Lord, if I'm going to submit to his authority, and I don't know if I really want to do that. But, but home is soon, and very soon, right? J Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. You think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Well, in light of eternity, 2,000 years is a snap of a finger. It's a blip on the radar. It's nothing. So yeah, soon. So is that soon later today? I don't know. Is that soon later this month or next year? I, I don't know. I don't know when soon is, but I know you can't wait. Because we don't know when soon is. So I'm pleading with you, right where you are, trust in this Jesus. In fact, in just a little while, 
we will sing a song. We will praise his name. And when we do that, I want to encourage you to make your way to this room to my left. and Tell somebody, I want to trust in Jesus. I want, to, I want to turn away from my sin. I want to trust in Jesus. And they would love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. Because we believe that home is coming. Jesus is coming. And, and home is coming soon. But until then, we have his word to guide us. We have his spirit to comfort us. And his church to compel us. You know, after two years of studying each book, we surely can know that this whole thing is about Jesus. And every, every book is about him. Even after this past week, if you were a part of any of that, any of that reading of scripture, we were reminded on page after page 13 hours a day in this very spot, people were reading this beautiful story of Christ. His coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his legacy, and one day, his return. I once heard J.D. Greer express this reminder through every book of the Bible, and I've, I've adapted that some. But I pray that as you hear these truths this morning, that it would offer you hope. That you would be stirred to obedience. And that you would be inspired to worship our King. Because in Genesis, He is the Word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, He is the Passover Lamb, whose blood was shed so that the people could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, he's the temple, the holy place where God and the people met. In Numbers, he is the ever-present guide, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet coming who is greater than Moses. In Joshua, he's the conquering warrior leading you into the promised land. In Judges, he is the broken Savior rising up to rescue. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the shepherd king who faced giants all alone. In First and Second Kings, he's the righteous ruler. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, he's the advocate restoring the people to royalty. In Job, he is our living redeemer. In the Psalms, he is the one who hears the cries of his people. In Proverbs, he is wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning in the midst of meaninglessness. In Song of Solomon, he's both the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah, he is the spirit 
that writes God's law on our hearts. In Lamentations, he, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the river of life that never runs dry. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he's the ever faithful husband pursuing an unfaithful bride. In Joel, he's the restorer of all that the locust had eaten. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, he's the prophet cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. In Micah, he's the everlasting ruler born to us in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, the reason to rejoice and run like a deer. In Zephaniah, he's the great reformer. In Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he's the pierced son whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. But it doesn't stop there. The Old Testament's just the beginning because he wasn't just promised. He came. He came. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the son of God. In Luke, he's the savior born to us in the city of David, Christ the Lord. In John, he's the word made flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he's the Christ risen Lord proclaiming salvation to all nations. In Romans, he's the justifier and the one within whom there is now no condemnation. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's the spirit at work in our churches. In Galatians, he's the righteousness imputed to us by faith. In Ephesians, he's the righteous armor that we've been clothed with. In Philippians, the God who meets our every need. In Colossians, the firstborn of all creation. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he's descending from heaven with a shout coming to meet us together in the clouds. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, our faithful pastor in Philemon, our redeemer, restoring us to service. In Hebrews, our great high priest. In James, the life at work in our faith. In First and Second Peter, our living cornerstone. In First, Second, Third John, he's our advocate, pleading his righteousness on our place. In Jude, he's God, our savior, the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us blameless. And in Revelation, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and salvation belongs to him. You see, church, it's always only been about him. 
He's the center of it all, the focus of it all. And every book shouts his name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus.